Just a brief note before we get started, this episode is part of a special series we recorded at the Chemicals America Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. Rather than our usual in-house attorney guests, these episodes feature executives and other business leaders from outside of the legal department discussing some of the biggest issues facing the chemical industry today. We hope longtime listeners appreciate this temporary shift in perspective, and we welcome new listeners, especially those of you in the chemical industry, joining us for this special series. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Wombleborn Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. Um, we are here in Fort Worth recording a special series on the chemical industry, and our guest uh, this morning is Dr. Eric Middlefout. Uh, he's Vice President of Development and Contract Manufacturing at ORG Chemical Corporation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Terrific. Let's start. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, ORG? Sure. Uh, ORG Chem Group uh, became ORG Chem Group in 2013 when the original founders of Chem Group partnered with a private equity firm out of Austin, Texas called the Owners Resource Group. The two brothers that founded the company in 1979 still have an association with the company. One of them is the current CEO. One is recently retired. We have a 40-year, now 41-year history of being what I call a green company before green companies (laughs) were so fashionable. And what I mean by that is we have a, a vision to help reduce the footprint of the chemical industry by extracting residual value from products that would otherwise maybe be discarded Mm. and returning those valuable components to the marketplace in a cost-effective, environmentally safe, and uh, sometimes chemically interesting way. (laughs) Well, that sounds good. And that's really the topic that we wanted to cover here is kind of green technology in in the chemical space. And I know it's something ORG has been doing for a while. Um, let's start with some definitions. What are you, you know, people talk about green technology. What, right. what, what does it mean to be green in particular, how, how you right. would use it in, in chemicals? I think there are a lot of definitions for green and probably even more definitions for green chemistry, all the way up to and including processes that are designed around being environmentally responsible. For us, like I said, it's, it's more taking materials and extracting value and returning it to the marketplace. But the focus of our business has always been on high vacuum distillation, a technique called short path distillation, which is applicable across the board. Um, We do, uh, like I said, the green part of being able to return materials to the market, but we also run materials that are, quote, virgin materials. And it's all predicated on the idea that we can perform these distillations that would otherwise be impossible because of the temperatures that they require, we perform these distillations under high vacuum and we do it very quickly. So Mm. the residence time in the evaporators is generally on the order of a few seconds. So you take, for example, something like a wax material. If you were to distill a wax or try to distill a wax by more conventional means, you might be required to use temperatures above the temperatures at which those materials would degrade. They'd oxidize, they'd crack. Uh, they develop color, and eventually they'd fall apart. Right. 
So by taking advantage of the boiling point decrease that you can achieve under vacuum, we're able to distill these materials at much lower temperatures, much shorter duration. So the likelihood is these materials come out snow white and they come out with just the properties that are required. Uh, it's not a particularly common approach, I think, anymore, but it is out there. And uh, I think we're certainly one of the biggest in the country doing that. Uh, I think sustainability, though, from the other side of the table is, is really something that's getting a lot more attention, a lot more serious attention. A lot of larger corporations in this day and age have sustainability objectives. Mm -hmm. And they're objectives that I think occur high enough in the organization that they get some real decisive action. Um, years ago, you know, it was always, well, green is nice, but it's got to be as good and it's got to be as cheap as anything else. So it was a good motive. Right. Nobody was really willing right. to pay for But no one, yeah, no, it didn't attach economic value to right. it. It was kind of just And in this a, day and age, I think that economic value comes from a couple of different places, one of which makes ORG Chem Group an ideal partner. Um, when we reclaim something, for example, not only are we providing the value of that material back to the marketplace, but we're also reducing waste costs. So companies in this day and age are very sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. they, they are trying to operate businesses in ways uh, that are more responsible to the environment, and that's a big part of it, generating less waste. Uh, it also has led to a revolution of sorts, really, in folks out there working on ways to do this with plastics, with you know all manner of materials, that uh, fortunately for Camp Group uh, sometimes comes back and gives us an opportunity to play in those processes as well. Gotcha. Could you give our listeners an idea of the kind of range of products that ORG would, would work on? Sure. Uh, That's the wonderful thing about our company. We do something different every day. We're a commercial toll processor largely. Okay. So we don't necessarily own the materials that we're working with. We, they belong to our customers. Mm -hmm. But it's such a technology focus, this high vacuum distillation, that we're really not tied to any particular industry or any particular niche. All you'd have to do is think about anything that was high boiling or heat sensitive that you would want to distill and not damage. So as a result, uh, we'll run epoxy resins because gotcha. they, they don't want the epoxies to actually do their job during distillation. Right, right. Waxes, tocopherols, tocotrienols, cold mill rolling oils, organic synthetic heat transfer fluids. I mean, you can literally go through just about every segment of the chemical industry and find applications in which short path would be beneficial. Gotcha. And do those folks, they ship the materials to you, you do the, the vacuum distillation? Yes. And then return them to them yes. after they've been cleaned? Is there a way, I mean, I, what happens to the waste product after the... Well, of course, yeah. Uh, if, there's a, if there's another waste generated, then that has to be handled, and it has to sure. be handled in accordance with all the rules and regulations that are out there, whether it be non-hazardous waste or recro-hazardous waste. And there's a whole, whole realm of considerations that go into doing that and handling that properly, and we have people on our team that specialize in that area. Mm, gotcha. And how many, how many, do you have multiple facilities or how many? Okay. Yeah, we have um, the first facility, which, um, well, I should comment that CHEM, the C H E M group, mm -hmm. actually comes from an acronym. Oh, okay. That was the name of the original. <laughs> One would assume company. it's just chemistry. Well, right. Okay, and right. people yeah. say, well, then we added the O R G, and they said, oh, it's yeah. org CHEM. Right. 
um, <laughs> like organic chem sounds exactly. like a, a college class. Exactly. So the C in chem came from the first company that was part of the group. It was the Consolidated Recycling Company in mm. Troy, Indiana. Okay. After that came Heartland Distillations, which is the H. That's what became ORG Chem Group in Evansville. There was an E for XL Waste Management, which we no longer own. And then finally, there was the M for Mid-America Distillations. And ah, so okay. around about 1995, when they went from the individual companies to the consolidated group, we became Chem Group. There you go. Okay. Sounds good. So you've still got locations then? Yes. In those, in those so we states. have all three of those locations. Uh, we have our headquarters in Evansville, also our plant in Evansville, which is where most of the new projects come for development. Mm -hmm. Then we have a facility in Troy, Indiana, which is where we reclaim mostly ethylene glycol to make ASTM-compliant glycol for automotive antifreeze. Okay. That facility is about halfway between Louisville and Evansville in a place called Troy, Indiana. And then finally, our third facility is down in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And uh, that facility is really well-purposed, well-situated to do a lot of the oil patch business. You know, ethanol and gotcha. are reclaimed when they develop heat-stable salts. Um, but really, you know, one of the things about having three sites, which I think puts us in a category of our own, is the fact that logistics is very important mm -hmm. in this business. And the cost of those logistics, quite frankly, can sometimes rival the cost of processing the materials. Gotcha. So you have to be sensitive to that. And uh, we work hard to try and assign projects to whatever site works best for the customer. Makes sense. We talked about kind of the shift that now, <clears throat> not only talking about green technology, people are beginning to, to value it. What do you see in terms of trends you know, going forward. Oh, I think uh, this will. Area. I think this will continue on all fronts. I think that people are going to be ever more serious about reducing their carbon footprints. I think that even when it comes to the development, research and development activities that are out there now, you know, you see development. The whole approach, even to plastics, for example, you know, that we're looking at better biodegradable plastics. We're looking at, and plastics is not just the bottles that hold the water. I mean, it's right. everything from <clears throat> food wrappers to food containers to pretty much anything that's packaged in plastic. You know, there are developments afoot now where um, these are, are made completely in a different way. Mm. And the polymers that are used are readily biodegradable. They're better for the environment. And oh, by the way, they can be distilled by <laughs> distillation. There you go. No, I think that is exciting. And it's certainly something that a lot of people are beginning to pay more attention to. Um, I, I think it's interesting, too, because for a long time, you know, people that are considered pro-environment have been anti-plastics anti without really thinking about the broad range of plastic, you know, different sure. types of plastic. And we're never going to be in a plastic-free world. So the question is how to, how to make them more biodegradable, how to make them more recyclable, more economical to recycle. Sure. Well, so. and I think there are opportunities in the regulation areas. You know, we like to encourage recycling when we put our bins out uh, by our mm -hmm. garbage right. pails every, every week. But, you know, I think even now the, the government is starting to recognize the value in different kinds of reclamation. There's always been a talking point that says, yes, we encourage reclamation. But then when you start looking at the regulations involved, it becomes kind of a challenge. Some of those barriers are being overcome now with a lot of the 
exclusions mm -hmm. for uh, different materials that are reclaimed, precious metals, used oils, and the, you know the used right. oil exemption covers quite a range of compounds and materials. Do you see more? I know traditionally a lot of reclamation was done overseas. You'd ship stuff to China, India. I know China has stopped, you know, accepting uh, some levels of, of plastic. Do you see that trend continuing where more and more will be done domestically? Well, I think globally, right, the material that needs recycling is going to be generated in the largest population centers in the globe. And uh, I think. You know, we live in a heavily consumer-oriented economy, so yes, we generate our fair share. I think as time goes on and transportation costs go up, it's going to be a little bit harder to justify that. And we also want to make sure that when we're sending those materials abroad, that we really are seeing recycling, that we're right. not seeing what they call sham recycling, yeah. where it's just an accumulation of waste because they can charge somebody to remove it. Right. Yes, not the not the greenest approach to incur the carbon footprint to ship plastics to China that end up essentially landfilled over there right. is not, you know, not the best approach. I expect you're doing research and, and options. Are there other developments that you see from a chemical side that may be changing the green technology going forward? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm certainly no expert in, in that aspect of it, but people are working on that around the world. Um, like I said, the plastics is a great example of what they're trying to do. Uh, fuels, look at the, the work that's being done now to move away from jet fuels or conventional biodiesel to synthetic diesels and synthetic uh, hydrocarbons that are used in jet fuel. I think it's going to take a while for those to really get steam simply because right now, at least in the United States, energy is still pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. And so for those conversions to happen, it's going to have to have to be at a time when it's economical. Yeah, no, I, th I think that makes sense. Um, if you've got, if you were to give some advice to maybe newer companies entering the green technology space, I, you've been there for a while. Any any tips or practical advice that you would <laughs> that you would give them? Well, I think uh, um, you know the opportunities are out there, but these are not always the highest priorities within organizations. And so, the best thing that you can do as a new company in this market space is to get out to meet the people that face these problems internally. And there's not much better a format than this show and its, its sister show in, in Charleston. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Lay's done an excellent job <laughs> bringing us together. Right. And I think that meetings like this will be uh, at the forefront of those activities. You just gotta get out and talk to the people. Gotcha, yep, that sounds good. I'm curious, obviously, uh, as a law firm, I am curious what legal uh, hurdles do you all are, are kind of common within uh, your corner of the chemicals industry uh, where folks are like sure. your company um, doing this reclamation uh, recycling uh, process what are some of the most common legal hurdles sure. that you all face well I think if you're in the chemical industry today particularly in this country you have to pay very very close attention to safety and not just the safety of your employees, not just the safety of your assets, but it extends all the way through to your customers and even members of your community. So all that goes into running a safe and environmentally 
sensitive, responsible corporation in the chemical space is going to be impacted by OSHA regulations. You're going to be impacted by the EPA with regard to uh, emissions controls and, you know, the rules under RECRA uh, for waste disposal. Because, I mean, even when you reclaim things, you're still generally generating some waste. Hopefully it's a small amount. But those things still have to be handled responsibly. So I would say... Um, the RECRA rules about how waste is categorized and how it's properly disposed of, those are not insignificant hurdles, if you will, uh, in the chemical industry. There are a number of exemptions out there that can be taken advantage of in terms of reclamation activities, uh, recycling, if you will. But, you know, there's room for improvement, for sure. Um, I think the big difference is, is it's going to be, before it gets better, it's going to be harder for small companies. There's going to be a bigger barrier to entry for small companies getting into this because you look at big chemical companies now, I mean, they have a big part of their staff dedicated to handling these kinds of things and you know, making sure waste is properly profiled, making sure that uh, the places that they send them, the TSDs, the treatment, storage, and disposal facilities, are they're audited. They're, uh, I mean, it's it, it's not it's not a part-time job anymore at all. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the the ideas and the technology may be advanced just a wee bit faster than the regulations and, and uh, the people that that follow that. So I would say if you serve as a law firm in that area, you won't need to go out of business anytime soon. <laughs> You mentioned earlier that you all, uh, I think recently, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about the time frame, but uh, partnered with a private investment firm. Mm -hmm. What We've talked a little bit about that with some other of our guests at the show. What did you find as far as the appetite for your type of, of business, again, your, your sure. corner of, the, of this industry out there in the capital world? I continue to be astonished by how much money is out there and available for investment. It just boggles, I mean, the, the kinds of numbers just boggle my mind. I think that the chemical space offers a tremendous opportunity to private equity, but I would say it's got to be a group, a subset of the broader class of private equity folks that actually understand the chemical industry particularly when you get to that portion of the chemical industry where an ORG chem group fits. You know, we always comment, this is not a widget company. So if you're looking at it from how many widgets and how many pennies you make per widget, you may be disappointed. On the other hand, if you look at, you know, the sustainability and the growth and the opportunities and the, the margins associated with the business, I think they're, they're very attractive. The private equity folks. What I've seen is, is there are probably more private equity guys out there chasing deals than maybe there are deals right now. Mm -hmm. But that's not my expertise. Mm -hmm. That's just, just, just. That's your I'm, perception. Though. That's my yeah. perception based on how many times I'm approached or mm -hmm. called gotcha. to say, "Hey, are you guys interested in?" And of course, that's that, you know we are already partnered. And right. We'll not be. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But anyway, um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of money out there, and there's a lot of businesses um, 
that do that. I mean, you know, you've seen the chemical industry go through a time when all of the big chemical guys were buying all of the small chemical guys because custom manufacturing and specialty chemicals just so attractive. And then they realized that that didn't work as well as they thought, and so they divested all of them. And those divestments all ended up, not all, but I mean largely ended up in private equity deals. And then they swap and they combine and the mass of the industry is going to grow. I think there's every indication it's going to grow and it's going to grow most sharply with smaller companies and private equity guys. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say one of the things that I would recommend is if you're in the equity markets and you want to invest in the chemical industry, you should study carefully what you're investing in. and Because like I said, largely because of the regulations and because of safety and all those considerations, it's not like buying a widget factory. Right. No, I think that makes sense. The other legal issue that I know we've heard a lot about is intellectual property, and particularly as new, you know, innovations come online. Um, and I know there, you know, some folks are patenting processes; others are not wanting to even publish it in a right. patent and are using the trade secret approach. I wonder about your insights or ORG's approach sure. to, you know, how do you go about protecting that? We have that some asset. protection. We have some protection for some very specific processes that happen to use short path, but. Short path distillation, high vacuum distillation, has been around since the 50s. Right, right. So, so you don't is, own short path. Nobody yeah. really owns right. it. I've heard people make claims to that effect, <laughs> but nobody right. really owns it. And, you know, if anything, from our business, our customers are less worried about our intellectual property than they are worried about protecting theirs. Right. Which ends up being a matter of, okay, so you're doing this distillation, which is a part of a much bigger process and uh, we want to protect our rights then. That's not a problem. I mean, as a commercial toll processor, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in business for 41 years if we were bad <laughs> at keeping our customers' secrets. Mm -hmm. Of course, the usual route is a, a non-disclosure agreement of some sort and we do that routinely. Yeah. Gotcha. Sounds good. I, I know my partner Jeff Whittles joined us. Any, anything you want to chime in on, Jeff? Actually, if you just speak into the mic, you know, we, we've, we've got a, another guest, uh, Jeff Whittle, uh, a managing partner of our uh, wow. Houston office, is an intellectual property lawyer, so he may have a comment. Can you share where you see, like, the next five to ten years, you think that the green technology may advance or the direction it might advance? Yeah. And I know you're not a soothsayer, per se, but you're very experienced and, and have an outstanding background in it. I just, you know, I, I share your wisdom sure. about where you could see the trends heading in the next five to ten years, if you don't mind. I think that uh, green will be kind of an outdated name, but I think sustainability and sustainability efforts in all industries are only going to increase and become more important. Um, it only makes sense. And I think that as new developments come along, particularly in the chemical space, there's always an eye towards, well, could I do this in a more sustainable way? Could I do this using less energy? Could I do this by using intermediates or, or pathways that generate less hazardous waste? And, and those, I'm telling you, those aren't being considered at the highest levels mm. of these organizations anymore because 
it used to be, you know, the standard, well, we have this EBITDA goal and we have this goal and we have this goal. I'm telling you, sustainability objectives, right. <clears throat> uh, reduced footprint, less waste, um, energy efficiency, it, it's, it's important at right. important levels in the organization. It's not just a bunch of green chemists yeah. in the trenches saying, well, you know, I could fix this or I could do this. I mean, these are... These are real goals and they're real numbers and they're real uh, increasing part of shareholder value because people are paying attention. Investors are paying attention. They want to invest in companies that are responsible uh, in terms of how they look at the environment and look at how their businesses project on that environment. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think the future is bright. Um, I think, and I think it's only going to become a bigger part of how our industry grows. But like I said, I'm not sure they'll call it green for yeah. much longer. No, I think that's a huge takeaway in terms of the, the fact that it has become something that is a value separate and apart from the earnings and profit. It is another corporate value yeah. that would be, you know, like for years we've talked, people talk about integrity or other, or, sure. you know, um, satisfied employees and this other, the kind of more stakeholders than just money. I think sustainability, you know, is become a very critical value that companies are putting, you know, separate and apart, even if it, you know, if they can become sustainable, even if it doesn't add to the bottom line, well, or even if it detracts from the quote bottom line, I, yeah, companies are it, putting value on it. But I think there are ways in which it actually can contribute to the bottom line, which makes it all the better. Mm -hmm. And more right. boards are discussing it, right? That's and what like I mean. That's, these that's are right. not, these are not discussions that are happening in, in the trenches, or maybe they are, I don't know. But they are also happening in the boardroom. Great. No, I think I, I think that's good. Well, I know we're about out of time. Um, Dr. Middlefelt, if people want to talk to you further or get in touch with you or ORG, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, probably go to our website. We're at www.chem-group.com. Great. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. I want to thank everyone uh, for listening. I also want to remind you that you can find previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse or subscribe to this podcast at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com, or go to iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments about this episode or suggestions for future topics, you can share them with us via LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Wombobond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer, and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.